Y'all can be seated. Well, this week, after having a lawn in Arizona for 15 years, the lawn care entered a brand new chapter for me. Any of you ever done any dethatching of a lawn? Ever heard of it? Okay, a couple of you have. It was kind of new to me. After 15 years, our lawn had gone through its ups and downs, and there are parts of it now that are looking pretty rough. And somebody told me, you need to dethatch that. Basically, dethatching is underneath the surface, there's dead grass and other stuff that piles up in there, and you've got to get it out of there in order for the grass to get the full benefit of the sunshine, the, the oxygen, and the water. So, so I went out and bought a, a dethatcher for our backyard. It was a lot of fun. I knew it was going to be fun because it required a 14-gauge extension cord. <laughs> And you run that thing, and it's got these sharp blades that kind of dig the stuff out from underneath the surface. And it was amazing. I didn't put the bag on, but there was stuff I didn't, hadn't even seen in the yard just laying all over when I was done. There was a lot of stuff beneath the surface, and we had to get that out of there for the grass to be healthy. I was thinking about that in, in our spiritual lives as well. In order for us to really appreciate the, the, the grace, the, the mercy the forgiveness of God, in order for us to really appreciate the cross, sometimes we have to dig beneath the surface in our lives and, and get real about what's there that, that led to the need for this cross. And that's what I want to do today as we look at two strongly contrasting pictures. One, the, the denial of Peter of his Lord on the one hand, and then the, the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ on trial in that upper room. I, I see a contrast between the, the heart of a, a sinner on the one hand and the heart of a Savior who, who came to save sinners. But I want to be careful here because as we look at Peter, I am not interested in Monday morning quarterbacking him. I watch football on the weekends, and I watch sports shows on Monday morning, early in the morning, and, and sometimes I enjoy those, but sometimes they annoy me, because what do they do? Well, the Monday morning quarterback, right? If, if this guy had done this, if he had done that, well, guess what? You weren't out there on the field. You don't know what, what all he was facing firsthand, so Mon I don't want a Monday morning quarterback. Peter, for a couple reasons. Number one, you and I were not there in that courtyard. Okay, we weren't there. The Gospels tell us John and Peter had followed Jesus at least that far. I think it's worth, worth us asking, would, would we have gone that far? I don't know. I don't want a Monday morning quarterback him either because we have someone living inside of us that he did not yet enjoy the benefit of. Who's that? The Holy Spirit who Jesus sent after his ascension to, to live in believers. I'm not interested in Monday morning quarterback and Peter. What I think we'd be wise to do as we look at all the, the people that were involved in Jesus going to the cross is say, Lord, show me my own sinfulness to look at these passages humbly. Because we can look at Judas and say, I would never betray the Lord. But is that true? Have you ever betrayed Jesus in your life? We can look at Peter. I'd never deny him. But have we? we? We can look at the mob shouting, crucify him. 
and kind of sit aloof and say, I would never do that. But I like the lyrics of a song by the OC Supertones that remind us of an important truth. The, the lyric says this. It says, my sin yelled crucify louder than the mob that day. We do well to remember that, that it was our sin, yours and mine as well, that, that led our Savior to the cross. So I want to approach this passage humbly. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So as we look at these two passages, I want us to remember that it was likely Peter passing this information on to Mark firsthand. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he, he calls Mark my son. Many believe they spent time together in Rome and that as Mark wrote his gospel, he was getting firsthand information from Peter himself. So I want us to imagine, we know how emotional Peter is, right? Can you imagine how emotional this was to sit down and tell young Mark? Number one, the, the, the darkness of his own sinful heart, how that must have hurt to, to recount that. But also how excited and thankful he must have been as he recounted the faithfulness of his Lord Jesus Christ on trial. How much this must have meant as, as Peter passed it on to Mark. The heart of a fickle sinner in contrast with the heart of a faithful Savior. Let's start with Peter's denials, we're going to do the passage a little backwards. Verse 66. Imagine Peter passing this on to young Mark. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, verse 54 told us he was warming himself with the guards at the fire. Perhaps some of the very guards that had come to arrest Jesus earlier. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing him, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Galileans had a distinct accent. When we moved from Ohio to Chicago for Bible college, I had several people ask if we were from Kentucky. I said, no, Ohio, but there was something different in my voice that told them I wasn't from around there. They, they, they likely heard his, his accent there. But what, what happens, verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. What's going on in the, the heart of this sinner in need of a Savior? I see five things. I see five things at least. Number one, he's seeking comfort with the enemy. We have to beware in this world if we're seeking comfort with those opposed to Christ. Especially, number two, that comfort for him was built on deception. 
He, he told lies specifically for the purpose of blending in with the enemies of Christ. Deception. We, we see the deception in those three lies, but we also see the deception of the sinful heart as to what we're capable of in our own power. You remember how deceived he was when, when Jesus told him this would happen? Oh, Lord, never, never. These wonderful intentions came out, even if they all fall away. I will not. Not only did he lie to these people, he lied to himself about what he was able to do in the power of his own flesh. You know the problem with sinful hearts apart from Christ? It's what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? Third, he was brought down by a lowly servant girl. How could the mighty, strong-willed Peter be brought down by a servant girl? I'll tell you how. He was seeking self-preservation to save his own skin. And as long as that was his mindset, he was setting himself up to be brought down, even by a lowly servant girl. Self-preservation was at the top of his list at this moment, saving his own skin. Number four, he claimed over and over again, I do not know him. I do not know him. Number five, we see something that he invoked a curse upon himself. Now, many have wrongly assumed over the years that when we talk about him calling down a curse and swearing that he was issuing profanity, it's possible that some of that was in there, but that's not what these phrases mean. When he invoked a curse on himself, he was literally saying, if I am lying about what I'm telling you all, may God himself curse me. Okay, so there's Peter, the heart of this sinner in need of a Savior. And I pray that we all realize that that's us apart from Christ. We stand with him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Now as hard as that must have been for Peter to recount to Mark, and I appreciate that he's honest about it. I also appreciate his heart. How many of you know that sometimes when we've fallen, we have a heart to, to love and protect others from the same? Think about some of the stuff Peter wrote in his letters. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He knows. He knows, and he doesn't want his brothers and sisters to fall into that trap. 2 Peter 3.17 you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. This is a man who knew what it was to lose his own stability. And he lovingly said, watch out, brothers and sisters. But how hard that must have been to recount the darkness of his own sin that night. But how wonderful to, to remember the faithfulness of his Savior. Let's, let's shift earlier in the passage as he tells Mark about Christ on trial in the upper room. 
Verse 55, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Now it's possible there were 70 or 71 people in this room, every one of them opposed to Jesus, not, not counting the guards, and they had already determined the sentence. We, we learned this from earlier in the Gospels. All they're looking to do now is, is come up with a reason for it. This is not a fair trial. <laughs> These are judges and jury turned prosecutors just looking for a way to get the sentence carried out. Jesus is in the midst of this angry mob. What's it say? They, they were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Now, if you go read John chapter 2, that's not what he said. You, go, you can read what he actually said there. It wasn't true in the first place, but... Verse 59 tells us even about this, their testimony did not agree. So the high priest takes things into his own hands. He stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? They would not say God. The blessed was a way to refer to him respectfully. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Listen to Jesus. He says, I am, which will remind you if you know your Bible, all the way back to Exodus 3 where God said, I am who I am. I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. In other words, they could have read into this, Jesus saying, right now I stand trial before you, but one day you will stand trial before me. And the high priest tore his garments. It was a traditional response in the face of what they call blasphemy. Tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. The other gospels tell us this was some kind of sick game. Blindfolded him, struck him, said, who is it that struck you? And the guards received him with blows. And now I want to look at this contrast between Peter's heart the heart of a sinner and the heart of Christ, the heart of a Savior that, that came to save that sinner and, and all of us sinners in this room. Where, where Peter was seeking comfort with the enemy, Jesus was in conflict with the enemy, spit upon, struck violently, why? Because where, where Peter sought comfort built on deception, Jesus was in conflict with the enemy because he would speak the truth. He would speak only the truth. John 14, 6, he had said, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Caiaphas put him under oath and asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He spoke the truth, though he knew full well it would lead him to a cross. Why? Because, number three, where where Peter was seeking self-preservation, Jesus Christ was in the middle of selfless provision of himself as the Lamb of God for you, for me, for Peter, and every other sinner. That's why where, where Peter was brought down by a servant girl, Jesus stood in the face of 71 leaders, the highest religious leaders in the land, and spoke truth because he was in the midst of selfless provision. For your sin and mine. Where where Peter said, I do not know him. I do not know him. I contrast that with the lengths that Jesus came to know and identify with us sinners. It's the old hymn say, heaven came down. Heaven came down. He came down here. Became man, the the, the God-man, so that he would be a merciful high priest who knows what you and I live through on a day-in, day-out basis. You think of his identification with us at the baptism of John. It was a baptism of what? Repentance? Did Jesus need to repent of anything? No, but to fulfill all righteousness, and identify with sinners like you and like me. He underwent that baptism. And he lived among us for 30-some years. Then the ultimate length he went to, to identify with you and I, we know that he would take your sin and my sin upon himself on the cross. All in contrast to Peter, and perhaps you and I at times, I do not No, him. Finally, Peter's there invoking a curse upon himself if he is not speaking the truth. A curse from God. All the while, Jesus is faithfully standing, speaking the truth, knowing it would lead him to a cross where he would take that very curse Peter was talking about upon himself. Himself. The curse of our sin was upon Jesus Christ on the cross. Think about it. Galatians 3.13, Paul says it this way. Christ redeemed us, bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You look at the timing of all this, all this faithfulness of Jesus going on at the very moment Peter is in the midst of his fickleness. It reminds me of Romans 5.8. What's it say? God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. 
So if you find some desperation in the picture of ourselves lining up with Peter and his sin, turn here. Turn here. Because as, as dark as that was for Peter to recount his own sin, I, I can't imagine how grateful he was as he told Mark about the faithfulness of our Lord in that upper room. Verse 72 after all his denials, Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Gospel of Luke adds something important here. You know what Luke tells us? That the Lord looked at him at this moment. Likely already bloodied and bruised by what had happened in that upper room, the, the Lord looked at him and he said, what, what was that moment like? What kind of a look was it from Jesus? I agree with Warren Wearsby. I believe it was a look of love. Injured love. Injured love to be sure, but, but love nonetheless. And Alexander McLaren says something here. When we become aware of our own sinfulness, it is only the love of God the grace of God in Jesus Christ that has the power to transform us. Listen to what Alexander McLaren said centuries ago. He says, you may hammer someone's heart with, with principle and moral duty and all the rest of it. You may get him to feel that he is a very poor creature, but unless the sunshine of Christ's love shines down upon him, there will be no melting if there is no melting, there will be no permanent bettering. Goes on to say, Peter broke down and wept. He broke down and wept. What kind of tears were those? I believe they were hot tears, not only of regret, but of repentance for what he had just done toward his Lord. And those tears of repentance prepared the way for his restoration. You know, 1 Corinthians 15.5 says in Jesus' resurrection appearances, he appeared to Cephas, then the 12th. Cephas is Peter. He had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Peter. And we don't know what was said in that meeting, but oh, I would love to hear. I'm inclined to believe that was a meeting of restoration privately, we all know about the public one on the beach, John 21, right? Where he's out fishing with the guys and Jesus goes three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That three times cut Peter's heart. Is this right here? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Repentance. Where do you go if you see yourself in Peter this morning? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Let that acknowledgement cause you to admit your sin, to turn from it, to turn to the Lord and say, I need you, I need your blood to cover my sin. Don't go the other path. We saw Judas Go that path, whereas worldly grief produces death. Produces death. And I think about this contrast between Peter, 
the heart of a sinner, and Jesus, the heart of a Savior. And I think this, as long as we have a light view of our sin apart from Christ, this cross will mean little to us. But if we have a biblical view of our sin, we will cling to the cross of Jesus Christ for dear life. It will drive us to the cross because we know that only there is there forgiveness and mercy. Peter would later come to understand this more fully. 1 Peter 2.24. Listen to what he wrote. Bill chose this for our memory verse this month. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You feel the desperation of being a sinner. Turn to the Savior who bore your sins on the cross. See, when you realize where you've been, and what Jesus has done for it, it, it's one of those moments where God takes what the enemy meant for evil and uses it for good. Because all of a sudden, what, what's, what's Jesus say in the Gospels? Whoever is forgiven much loves much. And how many of you like me know when you think about those moments in your life where you've turned away from God, where you've sinned against Him and you know the love of the, the cross, God uses all that just to increase your love for Him and appreciate Him all the more, to worship Him all the more, and it makes you want to pass it on to those around you. You treasure His grace. Lately, I've been having my quiet times in Ephesians 1, and, and sometimes I like reading whole chapters or large sections. Right now, I'm just going through that that passage where it talks about all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. And I'm pulling one phrase out at a time. And you know what? I feel like I'm in a mine. And there's all these gems. And each one of those phrases is a gem about what we have in Christ. Listen to some of this. Maybe you'll appreciate this with me. Just phrase by phrase. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. That's a gem. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. I love that one. It's not like God just up there, here's a little grace for you, you chump. Now get out of here. <laughs> he lavished it upon us. And you could go on and on. What do we do when we realize apart from Christ we have the heart of a sinner and we look to the cross? Where does it lead us? It leads us to the mindset of this hymn writer and we're going to sing it in a moment. But I want to invite you to listen to these words before we do. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? War thorns compose so 
rich a crown. And what's the response of our lives then? Were, were the whole realm of nature mine? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Father, I thank you so much for Peter's heart. He was honest with Mark about his sin because we see ourselves there. We relate to that, but he did not stop there. He went on to speak of your faithfulness. And I pray that the faithfulness of our Savior in that upper room, the faithfulness of our Savior on the cross, would bring the same relief and forgiveness to our souls this morning. They're brought to Peter. Transform his life and set him on fire. Lord, may, may you draw us to the cross. Perhaps some for the first time. Perhaps some of us need reminded of that grace this morning. Those gems of forgiveness and mercy that belong to the believer in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I thank you, Jesus, that you spoke truth even though it meant conflict with the enemy and indeed with the ultimate enemies of our souls. You went to war for us. Thank you for your selfless giving of yourself. Thank you for the lengths you came to identify with me, with each one in this room. Thank you that you took our curse upon yourself. Thank you for your sacrifice, the unspeakable gift. Father, I pray that as we give our offerings this morning, they'd be acts of worship, gratitude, trust for your provision. In Jesus' name, amen.